Bobo Dread, welcome to the Bitcoin Source. Can we start off this amazing episode? I'm super excited. Can we start this off by having you introduce yourself to the world and to the audience? Yeah, man. Um, I'm Dread. I'm from Jamaica. I would love to say that first. But I'm also a Bitcoiner, a technologist, and just try to educate people um, from Jamaica and all around the world about, about Bitcoin. Um, I've been traveling a lot, and that's kind of what I'm known for. But for the most part, just think of me as the Jamaican Dread that actually knows um, what Bitcoin is. Yes, thank you, Dread, for that introduction. And, you know, I told you this off air, but like I'm super excited to actually speak to you because I've seen you do so many things in the space with Gary Leland, some of the other podcast circuits that you've kind of gone on. And I've listened to your story and I just think it's so inspirational to see someone that's coming from an international country in the Caribbean, be able to orange pill people, teach people about Bitcoin and kind of educate their community. So I wanted to thank you before we start things off for, you know, doing your part in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I appreciate it. No problem, man. I mean, I'm doing just what you're doing, you know, just trying to spread the word. So nothing but love. Yes, sir. Uh, So Dred, um, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, which is kind of the title of this podcast, which is called the Bitcoin Source. I kind of want to know, where did you source your Bitcoin knowledge? How did you get started? Your humble beginnings, whether that be Jamaica or somewhere else, like what kind of got you interested in Bitcoin and what kind of inspired you to continue to keep learning about it? Yeah, I guess you're asking the rabbit hole question, right? Um, so I guess we started off by saying that my, my entire family is a family of engineers. So I kind of have that first principles thinking and um, just kind of bred into me. Um, which is I'm realizing less and less common than I thought it was, but it's kind of helped trigger a lot of other events in life to happen. Um, I've kind of been a consummate entrepreneur for the majority of my life, um, a consummate competitor. I did track professionally, and then I did technology consulting in the U.S. from for 18 to 20 years now. Um, I've been a technology consultant, worked for a couple of big firms, and then started my own firm, a uh, seven-figure firm that I had a boutique firm in California for a couple of years. So I've been in that technology track for a long time. So I guess that's kind of where I stepped into Bitcoin when I saw it. The first time I saw it was in 2013. And it was kind of just play money at the time. You know, people were sending money to Japan and I was like, nah, I'm good. Uh, but then again, in 2017, when the price was going up, I was one of those number go up type of guys where I just thought thought that, oh, maybe this is a way that I can make money because honestly, even if you're making six figures in the US as a consultant, there are times you can still feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck. You know, that inflation does make you feel like you have to keep on finding different ways to earn money. So of course, everybody that sees the number going up on some random asset is going to be like, okay, maybe I can get in on that. So of course, my curiosity... Um, led me to buy some, led me to buy some cryptocurrency that wasn't Bitcoin as well. We call it shit coins. And um, at first I was making some profit. You know, I thought I was on top of the world. I figured out something new that most of the world didn't know yet. And then probably in the beginning of 2018, I lost all of it. And actually it wasn't a negative because I leveraged a little bit. So that was a hard lesson to learn. But I put back on my engineer hat and I said, why did I lose that money? Like, what didn't I understand about it that I thought I did in the beginning? And that led me down a deep like, path of, of um, education, honestly. It felt like I was getting a PhD now in the history of 
cryptocurrency, going back to the fact that Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency. And then it led me down a deeper path of understanding why Bitcoin as a currency has almost nothing to do with all the other cryptocurrencies and digital asset derivatives out there. They're just clones and different things that are trying to mimic what is actually a real cryptocurrency. Once I figured that out, then the knowledge was, was just fun at that point. You know, I was learning about the, the um, Austrian economics about it, the uh, thermodynamics about mining, the, um, the game theory about the pricing mechanisms and difficulty adjustments, and, and then the code, because I'm a technologist. So just watching C++ code be used in this way was amazing to me. So I just went all the way down. I mean, I'm still falling down the rabbit hole, but that's kind of where I, I realized that now this is not about making money. This is about um, not just fixing the money, but also enabling freedom for a lot of people that I thought were just stuck and would never be able to get out of the situation that they're in just because of the way that the, the, the geopolitical environment is. Certain people in certain countries have no chance of leaving that country. And now we have a tool that is a globally recognized and unstoppable tool that can help them to either better their life where they are or provide an escape valve where they can leave the country without needing to have anything on them except words in their head. That was mind blowing to me. And from that point forward, I didn't care about the price. I didn't care about, I mean, don't get me wrong. Price is nice, right? When it goes up, but that was no longer my motivation. Now my motivation was, was learning as much as I could and educating as much as I could to have people use this tool. And now I'm on the path of building as much as I can to help this thing um, grow into what it can be because Bitcoin to me is still very nascent. And as it evolves as a monetary asset, um, I want to be there to, to make sure that my people, that our people uh, can benefit as much as possible. And it's not an outsized benefit in one, in one group or another. That was a long answer, but yeah, it's pretty much where I am and how I got here. Perfect, Dred. You know, that, that answer just kind of solidifies a lot of the stuff that I know about you just from your online presence. But of course, you having that engineering background always makes things a lot easier. And you mentioned something in that conversation or that answer you just gave, better yet, where you talked um, about Bitcoin being a tool that goes beyond borders, right? It goes beyond your local community or your state or your province or your parish. And I know that you're a proud Jamaican, and I would love to know you know, what is the temperature of Bitcoin in Jamaica? For example, you know, what is like a or accessible way for Jamaicans to save money uh, using Bitcoin if there are those options out there right now? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Um, I probably shouldn't get too much into what I have going on yet, but I will in a second. But um, in Jamaica, the temperature of Bitcoin is very skeptical still. Um, uh, just like many other developing nations, when cryptocurrency was first uh, proliferated around the tech spaces and then even outside of that in terms of casual investors, a lot of people got scammed, right? A lot of, a lot of fake coins and cryptocurrencies that weren't going anywhere were out there on the market being sold for pennies on the dollar. And people thought they were getting big, good deals, but they ended up losing a lot of money. That happened in Jamaica as well. So a lot of people were very skeptical about even wanted to learn what it is. You know, if you tell them Bitcoin and they, they hear cryptocurrency, they're like, ah, I'm good. And Jamaica is also known for, well, not Jamaica specifically, but certain parts of Jamaica are known for having um, groups of, of people that scam. You've probably heard of the lotto scam. Um, 
industry where people would call and, and trick older um, generational people to give them money over the phone. So there's a, there's a very high level of skepticism for anything new, honestly, but specifically for technology, because Jamaica is also a little bit behind in terms of how they would use technology on the corporate level, on personal level. We don't have fintech apps per se. There is no such thing as a cash app or a Venmo in Jamaica. So all of that is new to the average diaspora in Jamaica. And you tell them about Bitcoin, you're, you're leaping over the regular fintech and saying, here, use something even newer. So um, I would say that it's a very rough environment in terms of talking to people about it. People are very defensive about their money in general, much less something they don't understand about it. That being said, um, two weeks ago, I had the first uh, Bitcoin meetup in Kingston. Um, me and, and a couple of coworkers, uh, different colleagues, and these are like leaders of industry, right? We had a Dean of Business and Education um, in the University of the West Indies. We had a couple um, people that are trying to build future fintech apps there. We had remittance company owners there. We had, um, we had a bunch of people that were very interested in the, in the space, but they came entertainment, you know, digital media. We had a lot of people that were, that were just interested in hearing what this was. And it was a great conversation because I could tell that even though they didn't know, and even though they had their suspicions, the fact that we came together as a, a coordinated meeting to try and talk about it without any, you know, motivation, without any, without any ultimatums to not trying to get any money from them, that opened up the conversation and that made people ask the right questions, you know, like why is cryptocurrency, um, you know, looked at so differently across the world? You know, why isn't the government going to shut it down? Why is it not bad for the planet? You know, why is it not sucking all the energy resources? These conversations were now being had in Jamaica for the first time, as far as I know. And we're going to have another one probably in June. And hopefully it'll become a very common thing. So I'm hoping to change that, that mindset, change that theme in Jamaica. And then I also have a, a lightning wallet that I'm building in Jamaica called Flash. It hasn't been announced yet. You, this might be the first time I'm announcing it on, on air, but it's going to be a Lightning Wallet very dedicated to remittance services. So people who are using Western Union right now, people who are using MoneyGram, who are getting 7%, 8% taken from them and having to go an hour or half an hour public transportation to get it from a brick and mortar store should be able to use this service if we build it correctly to do all of that in the palm of their hand and then use that Bitcoin in stores near them and still having to cash out. So hopefully we get there. Um, that's my goal probably within the next year to, to adopt that across Jamaica. But the first thing to, before that can even happen has to be education. People have to know what they're using and understand that there are things out there that look like it, but are not Bitcoin. And that education is going to protect them from what's happened in the past. Yes. I love that. That's just so inspirational. And you know, this, this, answer I'm going to give you dread kind of appertains to inflation in Jamaica. But before I answer, I ask that I want to talk about some of the things you said, which I love. Um, remittances, I think is huge because of course the Caribbean has a soft spot in my heart because, you know, my family is from there and I understand the difficulty that people have with remittances. Right. And a, a good example of that, where you're talking about using a lightning wallet or something that's going to layer on top of the Bitcoin protocol using a mobile device because 
the cell phone is so ubiquitous in the Caribbean and Africa and certain parts of Asia. Even if people are poverty stricken, most people have a cell phone. And it makes me think about the company Digicel, which I'm sure is prevalent in Jamaica. It's definitely prevalent in the country my mom is from. But I think about Digicel in the sense of imagine if a provider like Digicel onboarded the Lightning Network. Or with something like Flash, like your product is tr- you know, trying to bring to market, that would completely change the game. And no longer would we have to worry about you know, packing a barrel with sugar and rice and you know, sending people powdered milk to the Caribbean. If you live in America, a lot of people from the Caribbean understand um, the impact that that would have on their friends and family if they could just quickly with the Flash of Cash App or Strike or Flash, for example, send someone $100, which converts into Jamaican money. If it's in U.S. currency, that could feed someone for a week in Jamaica, you know. So I think that what you're what you're doing with Flash is huge because that that's an untapped market. And what I was going to ask you about inflation is, and I don't know if the numbers are right, so don't quote me on this, but I think the inflation in Jamaica is somewhere around seven point eight to eight percent, right? Which is crazy, and it's probably not the real price. That's just the price that the government kind of puts out there for people to observe to not make them panic. And I wanted to know, you know, how open is Jamaica to Bitcoin? And do you think that the central bank in Jamaica would even give Bitcoin a thought as far as legal tender? So um, I guess the first part of that answer is that they, even though the published rate is around seven or 8% because they're trying to, you know, be on par with, with the U.S. I lived in Jamaica for two years throughout most of COVID. And the real rate is more like 25 to 30%. You know, when you go to the grocery store, that's your inflation rate, right? And my groceries, my grocery bill went up by 25 to 30% in the things that I was buying. And I wasn't really buying anything super fancy. I was buying chicken, bread, cheese, juices, you know, like things that everybody buys. 25 to 30% is your inflation rate in Jamaica. And that hasn't slowed down. That's only sped up. Um, has the government thought about it? I mean, there has been, there, there's been... T- Man, this is such a big conversation because on one side, there was one point in time where they actually bought some Bitcoin. It was a small amount and, you know, they did it for some kind of experiment. Um, And this was like probably back in 2017 or 18. I don't know if they still have it or not. But the bigger thing is that they are pushing forward on the digital asset path. They They are one of the first countries, the first island in the Caribbean and one of the first countries in the world to launch a CBDC. They piloted the CBDC in 2019 or 2020, and now they've launched the CBDC. They call it Jamdex. Jamaicans might hear them call it AkiCoin because the logo looks like a little digital Aki. But, uh, and it's cool marketing, you know, it's a marketing gimmick, but essentially the CBDC is just the digital version of the Jamaican dollar, right? And that is, and it's run on one database run by the government. So it's a single point of failure. And the government doesn't have very good track record in terms of keeping people's information safe. If you've heard about the COVID um, PII hacks that they had during, um, they had a, a, a app yet to download. And if you downloaded the app, you, you get um, track and trace, you know, where they make sure that they knew where you're going if you, if you had COVID, but they would take your information, your cell phone number, your home address, your, you know, all the different personal details about you. And that database got hacked. So people's information was out there. Now imagine that same government holding on to the keys for your CBDC all in one place. So that's one part. But the other part is that it's just a digital dollar. It's still subject to inflation. 
So even if you take it, take cash out of people's hands and give them a digital version of it, they still have 25% inflation. So in my opinion, I don't think the government really gets it, either that or it's the, it's the innovator's dilemma, right? Because the government is, is surviving off of inflation. Inflation is what feeds the government into, you know, being able to remain corrupt, being able to remain bloated, and being able to, you know, spend the money that they don't have if they're not collecting taxes in an appropriate manner. So the, the, <laughs> the government's um, take on digital currency is just a digital way to keep on getting inflation. And that is the innovator's dilemma, because if you take away the thing that they're making money on, they, their business will fail. It's the same thing that happened with Blackberry, same thing that happened with electric vehicles and, and um, traditional cars. If these companies will collapse in on itself, if they try to do what the what the new um, the new entrant is doing, what the disruptor is doing, Uber is a good example. Taxis couldn't follow Uber, right? Because they that that model was just disruptive to what to, to the medallion system. When you buy a medallion, you know for however much money it costs, that that's what you use to, to drive around. But it, but now people can go on their phones and call an Uber without a medallion. The medallion system dies. So it's the same thing with the good Jamaican government. I don't think that they're going to ever openly accept Bitcoin, um, willingly, I should say. They won't willingly accept Bitcoin because it's taking away the dollars they're making from inflation. I think that they'll be forced to use it eventually when the public accepts it and starts using it on their own. And that's my um, thesis anyway. And that's what I'm building towards. I'm building towards a grassroots movement where people in Jamaica will realize that holding Bitcoin is better than holding dollars being, de being devalued by inflation and being devalued by, by you know, um, there's not just inflation but corruption as well. And once you once you look at the two and they realize that holding Bitcoin will will long term increase the quality of their life, I feel like in over the long term, I'm not talking about short term. Your people always think that next week or next month or even next year they'll have some significant change in their life if they start using Bitcoin. No. This is something that you want to have low time preference so that if you start using it with, I'm not just talking about holding it, but using it as well, this will improve your life because you realize that your value is being spent better and you are making better decisions with your money because you don't have to get rid of it so quickly before it inflates on you. That will change their lives over time. And I think when that happens and they start using more of that and less of the Jamaican dollar, the government will have no choice but to try and adopt it and take the losses on no inflation just so they can survive. Yeah, I, I agree with that thesis. I think that that's super, super accurate. And it kind of makes me really think about how much of a delay people in the Caribbean or the Caribbean diaspora are going to have with a government or governments, I should say that plurally, that can be somewhat pugnacious. And then you have, you know, one love movement, Rastafarianism, all of these things that are kind of combating this quote unquote, proverbial capitalist society that, you know, people have been so indoctrinated by. And by you saying that the government's going to be forced to use it, it's like, how long will that force take? Will it take 20 years, 30 years, when all the other first world countries have already been using digital currencies, blockchain technology? It just makes me think about, you know, my friends and family in the Caribbean that want to have success and want to have financial sovereignty. It just kind of sucks to see that these governments are still not understanding the potential for Bitcoin for not only um, the local communities in places like Jamaica, but also just the Caribbean as a whole. Yeah. And 
I would say, uh, first of all, praise be to the Most High, um, I'm Rastafarian academically, and I really love the message that they send from the, from the music all the way to the chanting. It's always about truth, truth and rights, as they say, truths and rights. And this is the Bitcoiners message, right? We believe in truth. The blockchain is truth. You can't, it's, it's undeniable what happened 17 blocks ago. You can't change that. And rights, which is private property rights. You know, you can claim that you have the keys to certain Bitcoin and that is yours, your private property, and no one can take it from you. No one can confiscate it. No one can stop you from moving it. No one can inflate it on you or devalue it. You know, these are things that are basically built into not just the Rastafarian, but the majority of the Caribbean culture, right? Where we, we fight for our freedoms. And I'm hoping that that is the, the direction that will take this because I don't think we can take it a legislative direction in the Caribbean to get anywhere before, to your point, the US or the, the entire first world gets there first. For, for the, to the entire Caribbean and, and not just the Caribbean, but honestly, the developing nations, diaspora in general, for, for us to get anywhere near, you know, even or ahead of the first world countries, we need to lean on our culture and understand that that fight for freedom that we have, that should translate into a fight for property rights in digital age. And that's how that's how we'll 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 be successful and not be be trailing behind first worlds like we always have in the past. And again, you mentioned Rastafaris, and I'm just curious to know. Like, I know that there's you know a lot of villages, maroon villages in Jamaica, and they kind of have a different approach to possibly the Jamaican government and just the capitalist society. Like like I said before, where it's like you have two sides to to places in the Caribbean where you have the righteous side and then you have the side of people that are stuck in materialism and, you know, badness and, you know, different type of subculture issues that they have that all kind of trickles down to poverty and the fiat system and over leverage and loans and corruption. Right. And I think that Bitcoin becomes that, that spear that kind of pierces through a lot of the financial issues that you see in the Caribbean. And Dredd, I wanted to ask you, like, what is your connection to the Rastafari's on the island as far as Orange Pilling Dam, getting them involved in Bitcoin, kind of intertwining that into their culture? Or are they totally against it and they don't really believe in you know, digital currencies and they just want to keep the approach of the lifestyle and the culture that they currently use now? Uh, it's a really good question, Adu. Um, I would say I haven't really done enough to try and connect with the elders and with even the current um, activists in the Rastafarian movement. The Rastafarian movement has, it's, it's really gotten smaller in terms of its power compared to where it used to be, where it used to be when they were actually actively fighting. I mean, if you know the history of the Rastafarian movement, it was that the British came and colonized Jamaica. Well, they kind of took it from the Spaniards, but when they came to colonize Jamaica, <clears throat> they, they, you know, forced people into their way of living, right? Their way of working, their way of living. Um, some, some people were enslaved and, and there was a certain group that decided to break off. Um, they were actually led by one of the deacons in the church and they broke off, went to the hills and, and um, read books from Marcus Garvey and read books from, you know, the Haile Selassie in Ethiopia and, and chanted that as their, their mantra, as their way of life which was self-sustaining, you know, grow your own food, do your own work. They actually ended up trading with the colonizers at one point where they would trade different crafts and, and, and goods and farm, farm, farm produce 
for the industrial age things that you'll be making in the in a colonized world of Jamaica. But there was also a very big taboo where they were they were demonized, right? They were looked as less than a man. Um, if you had dreadlocks like this, um, people would would jeer you, and you could get beaten in the streets if you're in the wrong place. And even up until recently, up until probably less than five or ten years ago you couldn't go to school without cutting these off in Jamaica because they're British traditional school system, right? So so that is very deep in our culture. And there are a lot of divides to your point where you have the Maroons, where the Maroons are also self-sufficient and they have their own money. They have a money called the Lumi, which is actually at one point was stronger than the US dollar um, because they, they never inflated it. That should tell you something. They never inflated a dollar. It's stronger than the US dollar. And there are small town, a small couple of small couple um, villages in Jamaica. And then you have the Rastafarians that, you know, have their their own different camps that they stayed out of the, the town. And then they have the, the I hate calling them colonizers because it sounds so crass. But, you know, the rest of the country that, that went along with the British and people had better lives in terms of, you know, convenience and quality of things that they were getting. But they were pretty much enslaved. They were wage slaves at this point, right? Because now they're working for their money, but they're still working nine to fives, nine to sevens, hard work, you know, having to dress right, act right, speak right, do the right things, follow the British laws. And these are all kind of enemies in, in a certain way on the, on the island. But to your point, Bitcoin is made for enemies. Like this is, this is the, the thesis, right? Where you have an incentive to have your enemy use this money and it'll improve your enemy's life, but because it, it'll also improve your life. It's the one thing that is the grand equalizer. It's the one thing that's the grand equalizer for Bitcoin from a macro geopolitical level, you know, China, Russia, everything going on right now with the BRICS nations to the towns in Jamaica and across the Caribbean. And that uniting factor is what I really hope that we grasp onto and, and use our culture to drive that that, that uniting of enemies together. So we don't have to get along, but if we use the same money, we'll all do better off no matter what we believe. And I'm hoping that that, that, um, that crosses from, from the Rastafarians to the Maroons, to the normal everyday working man in Jamaica, to everybody. And, and um, to answer your question directly, I haven't gone to any of the direct leaders in Rastafarianism, but I would love to. I wanted to talk to Muta Baruko. I know that his, um, his nephew, uh, me and him were on Clubhouse a lot of times and we talked about making an interview happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So Muta Baruka, if you're listening, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You know, we can hash this out and tell me what you think. As far as I know, Rastafarians are not against Bitcoin. They are usually against a lot of the, the westernized technology that seems to be infiltrating culture. Like if it's, if it's eroding the culture, then it's not a good thing usually, but they're not against something that can help. So I think it's a good conversation that I would like to have at some point with, with any elder that's willing to, to speak with me. Yes, yes, that would be beautiful, man. And I, I send the highest vibrations out that, you know, that your wishes come to fruition, Dredd. And, um, you know, I think that what you're doing right now will reverberate throughout space and time. And I think that when people see my podcast in this episode, that there may be some type of call to action there. Someone might see this in Jamaica and say, you know what, let me reach out to Dread and start to build a conversation, an organic conversation about Bitcoin. And um, I've heard you speak at uh, BitBlock Boom, of course, and you talked about something that I really found profound that I wanted you to kind of expound on, Dread, which was 
kind of this call to action to Jamaicans, how we mentioned that there's different sectors of Jamaica and Jamaicans in Jamaica. And, you know, the side that people don't want to talk about when you go to Jamaica, you go to a resort, you don't get to see, you know, certain parts of Kingston and the poverty and the crime. And what would be your call to action to those Jamaicans that, you know, have no hope or they don't think that things will ever change in Jamaica and don't know anything about Bitcoin? How do you turn Jamaica from this purported reggae island into Bitcoin island? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. That's one I've been that's been on my mind for a long time. Um, <clears throat> as you know, I have a podcast too. That's one of Bitcoin. We go around the world interviewing different people from each country, trying to find out their take on Bitcoin and their people. And I found that same question for a lot of different of the a lot of the different developing nations where you you know you have a bunch of people that hard workers, you know, good people. And they want better for themselves and their families, but they're living hand to mouth. You know, they're living in very dire environments. They're living in it sometimes in cultures that are very violent. I think you said it earlier, like the badness culture. You know, where where the badness is what is praised and what is and what is what is, what is glorified. And to 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 change someone's mindset from that to think about, you know, long term investing in your future using a technology you don't understand is a huge leap. And um, the, the question still is on my mind. That's kind of why I got into education to see if I could solve that question. But how do you have somebody that is, that is only thinking about how they're going to survive for tomorrow? And sometimes they don't even care if they survive for tomorrow as long as they get what they want today. How do you get that person to start caring about their future? And... Um, it might seem trite because it came from American Hoddle, who is just kind of an idiot on the internet, but you know, he's slightly popular. It's that you have to just love, get them to love themselves first. If, if I, if we can have a, a movement where, you know, it could be through music, it could be through education, it could be through, you know, entertainment, it could be through um, any different manner of ways to communicate. But if we can get people to start caring and loving themselves, for the long term, you know, like thinking about what they want to be doing a year, two years, five years, ten years from now. That's where the conversation can be can 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 move into. Okay, what do I need to do to get there? What are my tools? What is this tool? What is money? How can money be improved? These are the questions that you're only going to ask once they want to love themselves and want to do better for themselves. And that's a hard thing to solve. That's that's much bigger than just Bitcoin. So. You know, when I think about myself as a as a freedom activist, that's kind of where I lean into to say, how can I get people to to care about fighting for their freedom? And then Bitcoin is just a tool to help that to happen. And that's where I would go when I because I go to a lot of um, to your point, Rastafarian um, communities. There's Bob Marley Beach down in Wikiwaki. There's um, Dub Club up in up in Skyline, um, when you're driving near Garden Town, there's a different place where you can go and, you, and you'll see a lot of these communities. And the vibes are always good, high vibrations, good vibes. And these people are willing to have these deep conversations, these reasonings about these, about these things. And, and I like to go there and have these conversations with people and see if we can get the, the ball rolling. Um, I'm just one person, so I know my limitations, but I would love it if you know everyone else would continue to have these conversations. 
because we're not going to get anywhere if we don't talk about it and if we don't figure out that you know once we love it, once we love ourselves and love each other love is kind of the key <laughs> my podcast is called one love bitcoin and it sounds kind of corny sometimes but it's it is the deepest truth there is you know you love yourself you love your future self and you figure out how to take care of your future self and from that everything else is just kind of a straight line forward in terms of education action and then results yes i couldn't have said that any better dread um you know this this has been one of those experiences for me, just, you know, I've interviewed tons of people. And like I told you off air, like you've been a person that I've wanted to reach out to and speak to for um, weeks at this point. So I'm super excited to be here and have this conversation with you. And I love that we kind of really dug into um, the aspects of what's going on in Jamaica, what's going on in the Caribbean, and just the mindset of people that have been in generations of poverty and how Bitcoin, because I personally believe that um, a lot of people's problems stem from money. And once people can not worry about paying their bills every day, worrying about how much money they have, I think that that opens them up to love themselves and to have a different um, thought process or an enlightening process where um, if you're not worrying about eating, like you said earlier, and you know you're going to get food every day, you know your light bill is going to be paid, your water bill is going to be paid because of the low time preference and you kind of thinking beyond five days and you're thinking 10 or 20 years down the road, how something like Bitcoin can really help you, especially in a place like Jamaica, where the price points are so inflated. Um, you can just tell that inflation has had a huge impact on the Jamaican dollar. And it's really just kind of corrupted the system where people are paying for things that are super overpriced. I think that Jamaicans listening to this podcast can definitely reach out to you and learn from you about how do we use digital technology to better ourselves from all the trauma and past corruption that we've endured as a people, not only in the diaspora of Caribbean, but in Africa, Europe, America, all over the world. Bitcoin is global. There's no centralized entity. There's no overlord. This is just a protocol algorithm-based technology. And I just think that you know, what you're doing is super inspirational and I'm just happy and I continue to support you in any of your endeavors. I appreciate it, man. Um, I, I really, really love to hear that because there's sometimes it feels like it's a lonely road, you know, doing, doing this kind of education and doing this kind of activism because there's not many people that are doing it. So I really appreciate you and everyone else that's 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 shouting from the rooftops just like I am. Yes, Dredd, I appreciate it, man. And um, this Bitcoin conversation has been awesome. I learned so much about Jamaica, about your story, your journey, and what you're doing now currently for Bitcoiners in Jamaica and across the globe. But before we go, can you give people your social media handles and any future last words that you might want the audience to know about? Yeah. Um, so first of all, thank you, Daru, for bringing me on. I mean, this show hopefully will, will spread as far as we want it to because this is one of the few shows that is reaching out to more than just a little Bitcoin bubble. So I appreciate your work for doing that. Um, if you can re reach out to me, I'm usually on Twitter, but not so much anymore, actually. I'm a Noster now. Uh, but you can find all my information at onelovebitcoin.com. That's onelovebitcoin.com. That's my podcast website, but also it has my Twitter and Noster information and YouTube information. Um, <clears throat> also, if you're in Jamaica, um, you can reach out because we have Bitcoin meetups there. It's probably going to be on meetups.com when I publish it, but there's going to be a meetup there every quarter, probably every month um, later on this year. You can also go to lnflash.me for the Lightning Wallet I'm building. 
Um, so if you're in Jamaica, you can use that too, instead of Western Union. And lastly, uh, honestly, I always say different things about how Bitcoin is great and everything, but this time I'm, I really want to talk about the Caribbean people, the Jamaican people, the culture that, that we know that we love, but it's not really fully understood across the world. There is something special in the Caribbean that it's hard to explain, but if you're there, you feel it. The soca, the carnival, the reggae, the music, the food, the people, like there are people in Jamaica that, that just have hearts of gold. And there, there is a, a, a certain, I would call it a certain level of, of innocence still there. Even to this day, even with the advent of, you know, the um, cable and social media and all that stuff that just kind of shoves all these different um, thoughts in people's heads that, that weren't there in the beginning, there's still a level of pure goodness across the Caribbean through our culture that hasn't left us. And I want people to harness that. Harness that goodness, harness that culture that we have in the Caribbean. Take a look at Bitcoin and see how those two are become a superpower. Because I, I truly believe that if people use the culture that we have and the Bitcoin that Satoshi Nakamoto has created, we could find ourselves being, you know, the next Mecca, the next Singapore, the next place that that is just uh, an apex of prosperity as long as we're able to do the hard things to get there. It's not going to be a short road. It's going to be a hard road and there might be some dark times, but this is the road we want to take if we want to stop going down the path we are right now with high inflation, high crime and hopelessness. So one love. I love you guys all. Praise Ja. And, you know, I, I hope I see you somewhere in Jamaica soon or around the world. Bobo Dread, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being on the Bitcoin Source, brother. Have a good one. Bless. Oh, 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 oh,